I know your show is called Messy in the Middle. Like we're we're kind of, I would say messy in the middle-ish. We're always yeah. in the middle of somewhere, but I would say for where I'm, I'm wanting to be, it's kind of assessing like what offers do we want to have in the product suite and and feeling out what those feel like. And so there is still some elements sometimes where I'm like, well, like, do I want to write this? Do I want to be even involved in this this project? Yeah. Not really, but it's it's kind of constantly assessing what that feels like. You are listening to Messy in the Middle, the show here to help you navigate the messy blend that is life and business today. I'm your host, Haley Johnson, and my guests and I are here to dish out all the hot takes, big wins, and seriously messy moments that come with being an entrepreneur. So grab another cup of coffee, you know you want to, and let's get into it. Welcome back to Messy in the Middle. Joining me today, we have Kendall Cherry. Kendall is the founder of Candid Collective, the authentic content and copywriting studio, helping rebellious types connect with their people and make more sales with authentic content. Kendall, welcome to the show. Hi, I am so excited to be here and ready to dive in. Let's do this. Yeah, so happy. And for anyone who's listening, just know like, it's Halloween. So the vibes are spooky. The morale is high. I freaking love Halloween. So I just feel like I want that memorialized in the podcast history. Um, So let's dive straight in to let our listeners learn a little bit more about you. Tell me about your background, what you did before starting Candid Collective, and what you guys do for your clients now. Yeah. So I, oh gosh, where do we even start this story? (laughs) Uh, So I'm your classic, was a communications major major in college, was not in business school. I was a liberal arts kid. And so I started out actually in corporate communications was like my first job out of of college. Um, And I spent about five, five and a half years there doing internal communications, executive communications. I was at a really big tech company and can you actually pause for a second? Can yes. you explain what that means? Like what oh, yeah, yeah, is yeah. corporate communication? What is corporate communications? Yeah. So there's like a lot of different ways that this could look in a company. What I was doing specifically was working in the C-suite for this tech company. So I worked for, um, at the time it was the chief supply chain officer. And basically what happens is he has his like department essentially. Mm-hmm. So what I did and what me and my boss did, we were on a very small team. We were responsible. He had 26 locations across the world. So we made sure first off, did they know what was going on in the supply chain organization? We would plan like employee engagement Mm -hmm. things, parties or whatever. There was a yearly event. We would do a global quote unquote event, but we would have to figure out how to scale the event experience where some locations had, you know, a thousand people in his department and other had like literally 10 people in his department. So trying to figure out how to scale an event experience, sent a lot of email newsletters back then. They're a little different than what I do now, but figuring out a way to basically speak on behalf of this executive or this Mm -hmm. person and make sure one, that their people know what's happening depending on the market, uh, make sure that they know what's happening internally, if there's any kind of like company changes, and then also making sure that they feel engaged mm-hmm. in, in whatever way so that they're, you know, feel heard, feel seen, et cetera. So we would do a lot of work of like integrating their em- employee survey feedback and figuring out new programs and things to create uh, 
And I kind of started out in that space. And it was very much at the time, it was my first job out of college. It was like a very much a fluke of a first job. Like I should mm-hmm. not have been that high up at the company. It was, like, <laughs> it was like a very weird, like way of going into the company, which is not normal. And then just started promoting quickly to where I would go into what's called global communications, which is if you got an email from the CEO, or if you mm-hmm. got an email about healthcare benefits, like that was me and our team creating those kind of things or like the internal stories you'd see on the internet, that kind of stuff. So I was doing, doing that. My last role there, again, I just had like this weird series of promotions and like flukes of opportunities that came up to me. I had never worked in IT. I had also never worked in training and I became the global head of training for a big IT implementation project, like basically changing the entire IT backend of this major, major company did not know anything about IT, did not know anything about training, but I I knew how to communicate well. Mm -hmm. And so I was in charge of figuring out, okay, well, we have these people, this group of people in Mexico, English isn't their first language. They've been using this platform since the eighties. How do we make sure that when it's the first day of using the new system, how do we make sure that they know, how do they Mm -hmm. log in? And like, how do they access the customer orders and stuff like that? So it was kind of my job to interview a lot of people on the ground and understand what that looks like. And then integrating it into training that was super easy to understand at a very high level. So it was a weird kind of like pathway to get to getting uh, to what I did. And then I, at the time as well, I was also getting a master's in public relations. So I was kind of using what I went to school for, but I also felt in the corporate world, I was really good at it and I could play the game And my style of playing the game was basically my style as it is now, which is very no bullshit. I would just like, I would just not play the politicking game. If an executive asked me what what I thought, I would just say it, Mm -hmm. which was actually surprisingly helpful because people knew to come to me for the truth. So they would not go to the people that were lying. But so I would say that was kind of what I was doing, but I just felt like something was missing for me. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, I, I still remember there was one day I had a close friend at the company and we would hang out outside of work. And she saw me inside the office one day. I was like working from the cafeteria. I never came in because I was always working from home. This was way before COVID. I was work, I'd worked remotely for like three years before mm-hmm. COVID had ever even hit. And she saw me in the cafeteria, like the first time I'd emerged in a month. and she saw me and she goes, dude, you've got to get out of here. Like your face looks different in here. You're so unhappy. Like your face doesn't even look the same. And I was like, whoa, that was like a huge eye-opening moment for me. And I, I'd always had like dreams of entrepreneurship, but in my family, like my dad was a firefighter. My mom was a preschool teacher. So it was a really big deal that I went white collar. Mm -hmm. I was the firstborn, first generation kind of white collar person. And so it was this like really big deal that I got like a six figure salary and healthcare benefits. And I remember thinking like, I can't give this up. I work so hard for this. And then just feeling like so unlike myself and always kind of wanting to be an entrepreneur. Or I'd like watch other people do it and think like, I could never like a gr- mm-hmm. like a gr- girls like me don't give up six figure salaries to, you know, go figure out a pipe dream. Like that just wasn't something that I thought was possible until one day I got really pissed off and I was like, fuck it. I'm just going <laughs> to 
I'm figuring out how to do this. Like I've, I've had enough. Like I, I, I'm done with these people. I'm done with this. And then started my first business in December of 2019. And then, uh, I guess kind of here we are, but it's been, you know, a weird series of twists and turns and pivots and, you know, as all entrepreneurs experience. So you had that like, fuck it moment, but did you have that moment and then immediately like put in your notice and figure it out? Or did you have that moment and then start figuring it out as like a side hustle that you built up into? Yeah. So I, I got really pissed off one day. (laughs) I was like, fuck this, fuck these people. Like I'm out. Uh, Locked myself in a in a conference room. Googled, "Do you have to have a certification to be a coach?" And then like <laughs> bought a coach a coaching course on like how to how to build the back end of the business like the next day. Mm-hmm. And I built a side hustle for the next year. Okay. So for me, it was, I guess, fall of 2019. I had all these big plans. I was going to do coaching, and I at the time I thought I was just going to do career coaching because it was this weird phenomenon where like my last project, I was this like, you know, major role. I was the youngest on the project by about 15 years. And I kept getting like aggressive promotions, like every year to year and a half. And so people that were 15 years older than me were coming to me asking like, how did you do this? Right. So I just thought I was going to be a career coach because I was doing it for free for people who would just want to get coffee with me. Why not get paid? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd kind of tried to build that out. And I just like, didn't really understand marketing and I didn't really understand idle client and like product market fit. I, I didn't know anything about marketing because I didn't go to business school. I knew mm-hmm. how to write shit, but I didn't know like the marketing side of things. And then for about a year, I had this big dream. I was like, oh, I'm going to meet all these clients in person. It's going to be amazing. It's December of 2019. And then the world shuts down four months later. I'm like, what the fuck? So I'm like navigating COVID. I hate my job trying to get out and just like, I think it took me like probably six months to even sign my first client. Cause I just like, couldn't figure it out. And I just was so like frustrated at my job. And then I Mm -hmm. couldn't, I just, the marketing piece, like just wasn't clear to me, which is so funny. Cause now it's like breathing for me, but yeah, I like really had to fail my way through it. Those first, I would say probably my first year and a half to two years to like really get it. And then now I'm like, all right, I got mm-hmm. like, hold my beer. I got this, Like, <laughs> but it took, it took a lot of trial and error for me to like really get it in a way that was actionable and where I could see results. And then also where like, I think people felt comfortable investing, mm-hmm. but at the time I was also coaching as well. So it was not even doing copywriting or marketing. <laughs> yeah. So it took you about six months of like trying to find a client to find a client that was a career coaching client. I'm assuming. No, no. no. So I was like, I was like, I just need something like I, and I, I was like, career coaching isn't working. I think I had this epiphany. I'd started a podcast and I'd had this epiphany that I didn't, you know, I don't want to help people find their next career. I want to help people bust out of corporate. So this is like mm-hmm. not the right fit. And so then I thought, okay, well, I'm doing IT and systems builds. So why don't I just do that? Now that I know that an OBM role exists, this was the worst idea I could have ever had for a business model, <laughs> truly. So this, in hindsight, I did one project like this and then I was like, never again. I built mm-hmm. out a website and the Mind Body software, which is if you're a fitness studio, it's how you book classes for a cheerleading gym in Houston. When I tell you it was a shit show, 
And there's all this shit in mind body. What if, if a client cancels, what happens then that I had no idea how to do? And I was like, I'm smart. I'll just figure it out. Mm -hmm. Worst idea I've ever had, but it, it, I, I learned a lot of like client negotiation and management and that kind of thing. But it was like a well, this isn't going to work. So mm-hmm. not sure what the next thing is going to be, but it's definitely not this. And now again, like in hindsight, now I'm like, oh, well, an OBM type of person would be the one doing that, which is so not my vibe. Yeah. <laughs> That's the very opposite of what I should be doing. But just thinking like, I need to make money somehow. Like, how, like I've got to get a business up off the ground and yeah. not thinking like, what is the right business? So it took me a while and a few trial and errors. But yeah, that that was my first my first client and my only client in the IT <laughs> systems build space and the only one I will ever do. <laughs> this week's episode of Messy in the Middle is sponsored by Thought Leaders Collective. Are you so sick of Facebook groups, totally over Instagram pods, looking for a place to find community and collaboration online without all the spammy sales, bro marketers? and frankly, bullshit that comes with the online space, then boy, do I have the thing for you. Thought Leaders Collective is for the online service provider who is ready to step into the spotlight and make a name for themselves, but is just plain tired of coming up with fresh new content for every platform every week. You just want to log on, share your genius, and bask in the glow of your newfound visibility. But it can't be that easy, can it? With Thought Leaders Collective, it totally can Weekly thought leadership prompts delivered straight to your inbox, co-working sessions so you can carve out the time to actually be visible on LinkedIn, strategic planning to get you laser focused, and a supportive community of other online service providers who just get it. What more could you ask for? I could tell you stories of members like Rachel, who had someone submit an inquiry on her site within hours of posting her first TLC prompt. Or Kira, who said, Haley, this LinkedIn shit is bananas. My visibility and reach are insane. Or Meg, who is a self-described LinkedIn stan, now that TLC is supporting her content and community needs. Or you could go to thepropagy.com slash TLC and use code MESSY at checkout to get your first month free and see for yourself how great TLC and LinkedIn can be. That's thepropagy.com slash TLC with code M-E-S-S-Y at checkout to get your first month free. After that, it's just 27 bucks a month and you can cancel anytime, but I doubt you'll want to. Can't wait to see you on LinkedIn. So transitioning from that into then doing copy, mm-hmm. I know now you have like a team of writers and you have people who help write the copy with you. Was mm-hmm. that how you dove into offering copy services or did you do it by yourself for a while? Yeah. So I'd, I'd ended up coaching and doing, I was doing coaching more around, it's almost like the productivity side of creating your own content. So I was doing mm-hmm. a lot of coaching in that and just general business coaching with people. Cause I, I found like my ability to ask the right questions and that kind of thing, like really allowed me to kind of pick through and hold space for people that needed that kind of stuff. So I was doing that. It ended up not feeling aligned anymore. And so I was like, well, shit, like I'm living at my parents' house. I want to get an apartment. I just moved back from Houston to Austin. And I just thought, you know, I I need to figure something out. Why not write? I already know how to do it. And it was like, as soon as 
May 1st of 2021. It was like, okay, guys, new business. I'm copywriting now. It was like within four days, I had someone reach out, ask me to write something for them. And then I had, a, I think I had a 10K month the first month. Like it was oh, just damn. like, it was like stupid because I think, I think what it was was so many people had followed me for my writing or they'd come into my space and they weren't really wanting a coach or a mentor mm-hmm. or something like that but they liked my captions or they liked my emails or the storytelling that I would do. So they'd kind of stick around. And then it was like, Oh, Kendall can write for us. Like Mm -hmm. I'm in. So that's kind of how that grew. And then I was for a while, I was kind of like straddling where I was like, I was a staff writer and then I would hire a couple of other people, but I was kind of constantly scaling up, scaling down, scaling Mm -hmm. up, scaling down, just trying to find the right fit of what felt good. And I didn't have a lot of the back end processes or systems in place because when it was just me, I mean, yeah, total transparency. I would literally run this fucking copywriting business from a piece of paper. So, yeah. no, I'm the same where, way. Where's, where's <laughs> this client status? Well, it's done. Kendall, don't forget to check in on this. Like, I just didn't have anything in place. So then I tried a couple of times to bring on people, and it was like, Lord bless the people that. Were, have been with me since July of 20, like 21, because they, they've seen it all and they've seen the evolution and the lack of training and processes and the whole bit, but now it's a lot better, but yeah, I just, over time, I, it's kind of, I think, especially when you start to scale, you kind of have to take a look at like your own capacity versus the writing. And I started mm-hmm. find, finding people where they would, eventually I would have let them write some of my stuff and not like sometimes they would send stuff in and I'd think like, shit, they're like writing this better than I, I could, or like, I, I, I've kind of always felt like I'm not supposed to be the one doing the writing, but I have the skills to be a writer and a marketer. So it's kind mm-hmm. of that, that constant trade-off of like, do I need to be the one doing this just because I can, and it technically is a zone of genius. What is like my number one zone of yeah. genius? And it's kind of constantly, even now, like sometimes I'll, I'll be like, well, this is kind of a dream client project. So maybe I'll write this one because it's fun, but it's kind of this constant assessing of like, you know, what role do I want to play and, and what does that look like? Especially, I know your show is called messy in the middle. Like we're, we're kind of, I would say messy in the middle ish. We're always in the middle of somewhere, but I would say for where I'm wanting to be, it's kind of assessing like what offers do we want to have in the product suite and, and feeling out what those feel like. And so there is still some elements sometimes where I'm like, well, like, do I want to write this? Do I want to be even involved in this, this project? Yeah, Not really, but it's, it's kind of constantly assessing what that feels like. Well, I think sometimes too, when you are doing something that's in your zone of genius, it's really hard to like figure out the line between what is a process you can write out and teach someone else to follow mm. and what is just like the way your brain works. Like oh I know gosh, a yeah. lot of times I'll be on calls with people and they'll say something and I'll just reword it and be like, so would you say this? And they're like, yeah, I would say <laughs> exactly like that. And I'm like, I don't know if that's something you can write down and teach someone how to do, or if yeah. like you can hand that off to someone else and not get that same experience. Yeah. This is, this is an interesting topic because I think I go, I always wonder if it's just because we're in creative fields mm-hmm. and I wonder if other people experience this quite in the same way. Cause I'll, I'll find like, I have my process or lack of process. A lot of my like writing is just like 
I procrastinate. I go for a walk. I ferment on it. I sit down. I write the sales page in two hours, and then mm-hmm. I'm done. and and it's just there. And it's just that's what it is. And I don't do any real research. I just like channel the person I'm writing as. I ask the right questions to like super clearly understand their ICA, but I don't really have this like I don't know formal lengthy process. Yeah. Whereas I know other people on on staff, everyone has their own kind of process for things. And I, I've had to kind of learn as I've hired other people to like, let go. There's this great book called who, not how. Um, and the concept is like, it's not necessarily like, it's not my job to figure out how the work gets done. Mm -hmm. People can have their own process. It's more about identifying the right who to get the work done. So that has really helped me kind of let go. Cause otherwise I'd be like, well, you need to have these thoughts or you need to do this work or you need to ask these questions. And then eventually I'm just like, you know what? My people are smart. My people are more than capable. And usually when I let go, the stuff they write was probably better than if I wrote Mm -hmm. it. So, you know, let them do their thing. And the more space and room you give people to breathe, I find the better the product is or whatever Mm -hmm. it is that they're creating. But I don't know if like, I don't know, does a data scientist feel the same? way when they hand off a spreadsheet I don't know or is this a creative thing yeah that's hard to say I think I think like the most applicable like way to apply this to something that's not as creative unless coders are going to get offended with me but like as with coding like I think about Mm -hmm. um did you ever watch Silicon Valley on HBO Oh, I've only watched like one episode. So there's this one part where like two people are arguing because like one of them uses like tabs and one of them uses spaces or something like that. And it's Mm -hmm. like, at the end of the day, they're getting the exact same result from like Mm -hmm. a quantifiable perspective, but one of them's using tabs and one of them's using spaces. And so like, that's a little bit of like process can be different, but like the results the same. But I think what happens a lot of times with creative stuff and this is one of those things where just the more you practice it, the better you get at like accepting it with yourself is like, I wouldn't have written it this way, but this is still good enough. Like if Mm -hmm. I wanted it written the way I would have written it, I should have written it. But like, did they deliver everything that like checks all the boxes and, Mm -hmm. you know, scores on the rubric? Yes. So totally stop pretending like you're the only person capable of writing that sentence because you're not. That's like, I tell myself that all the time. Totally. And I think there's like, and again, especially in the copywriting space, I don't know if this, this is probably true in most creative spaces as well. My kind of general philosophy with like staff writers and stuff is like, you know, if we get a a solid B through the door, I can easily tweak stuff to make Mm -hmm. it an A plus. I I can change some sentence structure. I can add some like embellishments to make it sound more like the client. That's, that's easy. And that doesn't take me a lot of time. It's Mm -hmm. the, especially if you're running I'll say a creative agency of any sort. A lot of the challenge is the volume of what you have to create, but you can also, as if you're in the CEO seat or if you have an editor or I don't know, senior designer or somebody like that person can go in and tweak, you know, the, the last to bring it from a B plus to an A plus Mm -hmm. that that's, that's not hard. The tricky part is bringing it from an F AKA a blank sheet of paper to a B plus that's, that's where the real, like the time sink is and the, mm-hmm. the, the volume I would say is, is the tricky thing to solve for. But the, the finessing of it is usually it's, it's to me, it's easier to work from something that's already been created because you can already kind of see it. And then something that I do with our staff is we actually do 
once someone is more integrated in and they've had a couple of iterations, we don't do this, but like when we have probably the first two months of writers with us, we'll do a loom like stream of consciousness editing video. Mm-hmm. So me or pretty soon our copy editor will sit, record, live edit everything and just say, Hey, here's what I would have done here. Mm-hmm. So you're not just seeing like, Oh fuck, like here's the final thing. And like, they changed these things. You get yeah. the like, uh, here's how, I, here's how my brain did this, or here's why I would do this. And what I found is it is a little bit of a time investment up front, but it always pays off. Like I, I have had so many of our writers sometimes even just a month of doing that, like, or a couple projects and then they get it. And then it's like, Whoa, next, next level. They kind of pick it up really quickly. And then there's, there's no, I mean, I've had lots of our writers eventually get to like no edits or like Mm -hmm. one small tweak, but I think the time investment for that is really important, but being able to have the space to do it, it has to be there, but it's, it's something I, I invest in as a marketing agency. Cause it, I, I think for us, especially it's what people need support with to kind of get the educational aspect of it without, without feeling like they're, you know, they're looking at the edits on Google mm-hmm. and just seeing like revision, 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 you know, the, the log on the side is like, Oh my God, all this changed. They kind of get the why. And then yeah. it's so much easier to apply it for, you know, the next time they write something. Mm-hmm. So thinking about how you do train your writers, you talk a little bit on Instagram about having an apprenticeship program. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how that works and what made you decide to structure your team or build your team from that way? Yeah. So I started as a freelance writer, essentially as a copywriter, as a solo copywriter. I was Mm -hmm. writing for different companies and things like that. And I just noticed a few things coming up for me one lack of mentorship. So luckily I had a business coach and everything, but I noticed that there were a lot of copywriters that were really struggling that either they were in one of a few camps, like our writers typically are, I'll say three buckets. The first bucket is they're a nine to five person Mm -hmm. a normal job. Most of them tend to do something in the writing field, but they're doing something in like, like one of our girls writes for air Canada the other girl is like an oil and gas technical mm-hmm. writer, a little dry. <laughs> it's a little dry over there. So they're looking for something side hustly where they can have a little bit more creativity, a little bit more fun and maybe learn the skills, but they're doing, I would say dry kind of boring yeah. work. So they want to do it for cybersecurity. I get it. <laughs> yeah. 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 They want a little something, something on the side. Uh, the other kind of person that will typically employ is someone who's like more of your general freelancer. So they kind of pick up and can do a bunch of things. And I've actually promoted one of our staff writers who originally was just a creative writer. She had never written for business at all. Mm-hmm. And, but one of our clients at the time was like an artist. She goes, well, I want poetry as captions. I was like, what the hell? Okay. <laughs> We're doing poetry, but perfect, perfect person. But she's a yoga instructor. She writes for a yoga studio. She's a blogger. She also wrote for us. So she kind of jack all mm-hmm. trades, picking up 1099s all over the place. And then our third, I would say profile is somebody who is a copywriter. They don't necessarily have the client portfolio yet to justify being able to like fully supplement their income. And there's some level of like education needed mentorship slash education. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it's in it's probably like this in all creative fields and we run our 
program is a creative apprenticeship. So we're opening it up for probably a graphic designer space and new year as well. But most of the time it's this like weird phenomenon where it's like, well, if you want to attract an higher caliber client, you have to have the exposure to work on that kind of project, but to get mm-hmm. the exposure to that kind of project, you have to be selected to work on those things. So it's kind yeah. of this like this, like perpetual, unless you get kind of this like lucky break or you get approached for something that's outside of what you currently do, it's kind of hard to expand your services and it can take a while. So my philosophy is we will train you and use our client base to train you how to do things like a brand brand messaging guide, which is typically a much more expensive service. But if you don't have the practice doing it, you kind of run the risk of either undercharging or you're not going to get you know the level of client that you need to be able to to be where you need to be at. So mm-hmm. my philosophy in general and kind of like why I wanted to structure it this way is when I was a kid, there was always in any kind of media, the, I'll say the image that you always see of like a writer is a starving artist or they're mm-hmm. suffering for their art or it's, you know, they're penniless. There's, there's nothing there. And I just fully believe like you can be a writer in 2022 and make good money and like support your family. We've had several single moms as writers. We have a couple of women who are in their fifties here who are, you know, supplementing income as they're retiring. It's like such a broad range of people, but I just believe you don't have to be a starving artist or like the starving artist narrative is dead. So I kind of built the apprenticeship off of that philosophy and, and in this place where like, I get people that'll sometimes ask, like, aren't you worried that you're going to teach all these people, all these things, and then they're going to up and leave. I'm like, good. If they, (laughs) if they're able to do that, because I was able to give them proper education and like financial freedom so that they can go do their dream. If that Mm -hmm. is a copywriting business, good. Like I want more women, anyone truly, but I want more people to experience financial freedom. If I have a a way in paving the path for that, great. What I will say to all the people who are like, oh my God, how does that work as a staffing solution? I hardly ever have writers leave. Mm -hmm. I've only had two, I'll have probably by the end of the year, two people who will be, I'll say dismissed, put on hold because of like, that just wasn't a good fit. But every other writer we've always had has stayed since Mm -hmm. July of 2021. Yeah. So, so it's, it's just one of those things. I think when you can step into, it's not, it's like lack of scarcity. Like if you can step into abundance of like, well, I have plenty to give and I have plenty of resources and I'm happy to, to train people to do it. I get better quality work and people are super loyal and invested in, in working in with what I'm doing. I have some people who are like, I don't really want to leave anywhere else. Or I have, I have people who are like having discussions with me, like, Hey, if I gave up this contract, could I, you know, come here for part of it just to kind of supplement until I build my thing. I'm like, yeah, like mm-hmm. we, we can figure out, you know, something that works because it just feels so much more, I think, supported and nurtured than, oh shit, I got to go like brave Instagram or, you know, the Facebook groups and try and find clients. It's, it's a great way to kind of leverage the people who've already trusted our brand that are maybe at a different caliber and getting people exposure to what some of that work can look like. Yeah, definitely. And I think like 
I don't want to say like competition doesn't exist, but I feel like if you are really secure and confident and capable in the things that you're doing and the services that you're offering, like the other people offering the same services aren't necessarily your competition because you'll be the right fit for someone and they'll be the right fit for someone. And that's just like where it is. Totally. Yeah. I think like this comes up a lot where I'll have people be like, well, you know, I need to sound this way because, you know, everyone in my market sounds this way. And I'm like, I've actually found the more I lean into how I sound and what I believe in, the more it's, I mean, it's all attraction marketing. You you're the right fit for a certain type of person. Mm -hmm. And there, there are so many clients out there in so many different places that the more you can just lean into, this is who I am. This is how, what I believe. This is how I do things. You find the people that easily and naturally resonate with the way that you are, you know, the things you believe in. And there's such a better fit than like, oh my God, I have to sound exactly like every other copywriter on Instagram, which I am hot, hot take. I'm, I'm not anti online business space, but I, I toe the line of like, I don't really want to be in this space. Like I don't, I don't. Yeah. I, I go back and forth. I'm like, do I like it here? Well, I I feel like the online business culture is very intense and Mm -hmm. very like unilateral in the way that it promotes or prioritizes certain things. Mm -hmm. We've talked a bit about this like offline and over on your podcast about my obsession and then disenchantment with that six-figure title. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you felt like you had that starry eyed view of or anything you feel like online business is glamorizing that maybe isn't as magical as we like to pretend it is? Oh God, there's so many answers. I'm like, how spicy do I want to be today? As spicy Um, as you want. (laughs) Spicy as I want. Um, I would say like something that doesn't resonate with me that has come up for me a lot recently. And we've, I think we talked about this on my podcast a little bit was like how things are getting funded or like what the financials actually Mm. look like. Yeah. So so, something that has like really been just on my mind a lot lately, there's been a lot of space or I'll say a lot of talk about like transparency and the online business space. And like, there's all these reels trends around, like welcome to my corner of the internet where I'm transparent and this is what you get, which I'm like, okay, great. The thing, the thing, the rub that I have that's, that's hard for me. And I'll say this, there's definitely like, this is some of my just own shit I'm currently working through, but something that's really hard for me is I am a single female. I don't have a partner. I don't have a boyfriend, I'm not married. And the thing that's really hard for me is like, there are some months when the pressure of like, Oh my God, I have to solve for cash flow, or, Oh my God, like I have to pay my team or I have to pay myself mm-hmm. is so crippling. And I've, I've, heard, you know, people say like, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a mom and an entrepreneur. And I'm like, I feel like there's this like silent burden that I carry, <laughs> which I, I'm not, I'm not trying to like, what was me over here, but there's this like experience that I have where I see all these people like, oh, I did this. I made this happen. I did this thing. And I'm like, well, it's like some months, like if, if I don't have that support, in other ways, like I don't, I feel like sometimes I don't have the freedom to invest as aggressively as I would mm-hmm. want to, because I don't have a partner where like I could push really hard and I I could put, you know, be 5k 
loss or more in a month to make, I, I can, it's almost like I can clearly see what investments I need next mm-hmm. and also having enough of a buffer and cash flow solved to make those investments. And it's like totally maddening. And I don't know if it's like jealousy or envy or what, but there, there are definitely moments where I feel a little like uh, unseen in the mm-hmm. online business space. Cause I see a lot of people like, or I'll see the post like, Oh, my partner is so supportive. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I wish I had somebody bring me ice cream at my, the end of my emotional yeah. breakdown, but instead <laughs> I'm Slack messaging my business coach. I'm going to my therapist every other week and I'm voice memoing my shaman and like calling it emotional, you know, that that's my kind of support system. But I, it, there are days when I'm like, man, on a hard day, it's like, there's like part of me that's like, man, I'm so proud of myself. And then sometimes I'm like the emotional burden of entrepreneurship to carry all on your own besides like my two cats that I live with praise yeah. them. Like, like it, it is a lot. And I think for that, that is just one thing I've, I've really started to notice. And I, it, there's a, a few other things and we can talk about some other spaces in the online space that I think are a little, uh, we can get spicier if we want, but th- <laughs> this is one that I'm, I'm consistently like chewing on and working through where I just feel like I, I even have talked to my business coach about like, okay, I want to find an expander. I want to find somebody who has an experience like me. I just want to find an agency owner who's a single female. I yeah. can't find, I haven't been able to find one yet. I don't yeah. know if you know, of, if you know of anyone, but everyone I know is either dating someone or married. I'm like, I just, I just want one person. I just want <laughs> one person. So I don't feel so alone in that experience, but I still haven't been able to find one yet. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm on this, like this mad hunt right now to, yeah. To find someone. And there's, yeah, there's so much of like the stability and support that you get from another person that you maybe don't even realize sometimes. Like I was talking to my partner this morning and he was like, I just want to quit my job and stay home and do nothing all day. Like, will you take care of me? And the first thing that like flashed across my brain was like, my business is not set up for that. Yeah. Which like, even though I don't directly rely on him mm-hmm. for any, like, you know, like I'd be okay if he wasn't there financially, like yeah, my business, my brain, my everything is like still hinging on knowing that I've got that buffer in case. Yeah. yeah. I just wonder, I just wonder sometimes I'm like, what does that even feel like? <laughs> like I don't, I, I'm sure that I'm sure. I mean, as with everything, right. It wouldn't, there, there's always like, the grass isn't always greener, mm-hmm. but it, it, there is definitely moments when I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes the grass is a little dry over here, y'all. It's a yeah. little yellow, but I mean, but- I definitely like I had that like before I met him, I was still like in entrepreneurship and I was single mm-hmm. and I lived in, you know, a shitty $800 a month apartment and made like less than $2,000 most months from things. Yeah. And, you know, I just, scrapped it together and figured it out but it wasn't like a particularly fruitful time in my life and it wasn't particularly enjoyable and like yeah it was really lonely so I think that's partially a testament to like you're doing great that you are you know not experiencing that emotional support or like financial support from a partner and you are able to have this successful business but Mm -hmm. it kind of shows like it's more rare and really hard to come by. Yeah. And I, I just have to believe, like, I'm sure there are people out there like me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the number is a lot smaller. And I, I just wish, I don't know what it looks like, but I, like I said, 
all I want is to find an, some kind of agency owner who's single that I can look, who's maybe a little bit, what maybe one level up above mm-hmm. from where I am that I could just look to as an expander. And it's like, well, is the answer that it's got to be me and I'm supposed to be the one figuring it out? Why does it always have to feel like that though? My God, like, you know, it it would be nice, but you know, I, I, it's just something that's kind of on my, my brain lately. Cause it just has, it's like, I, again, I've seen people like, Oh, the transparency and I'm, I'm going to be this way or and everything. And then I like peel back the layers and I'm like, well, I hear what you're saying. And then some, sometimes it doesn't quite resonate with me in the ways that I wish it would. Yeah. Sometimes I think too, like all that talk about transparency is like, uh, you know, me thinks the lady doth protest too much. Like if you're talking <laughs> that much about transparency, how transparent are you really being? Like if Ew. you have to say it all the time and maybe oh, that's man. just me being cynical, but like, Oh no, this is, Oh man, I have such a hot take here. Okay. <laughs> I know we talked about this on my podcast, but I want to talk about this because it, it came up for me last week and I like posted about on Instagram. So I last week, something that is really important to me is building like a truly diverse business team. And I think this is something the online business space gets so freaking wrong Mm -hmm. all the time to the point. It doesn't make me physically sick, but it kind of starts to get me there. So I had this thing happen last week. There was like this major account, lots of service providers follow them really well-known in the space. And they post that they're doing this brainstorming session for the company. And there's probably 10 women around a table. I swear every woman on this in, on this reel, at least to my eye, identify, I don't know if they identify as white, but they appeared to be mm-hmm. white. Now I'm not, I'm not sitting here trying to label anyone. I'm sure there's a, a scenario where, you know, th- there could be somebody that's actually not white, but I will say from the look, it appeared as though everyone was white. And it's something that, it really, really, really bothers me. Like on a, like on a foundational level, truly, I think this is why I, I go in and out and back and forth on the online business space so much mm-hmm. where I, I think people, I just remember, you know, the anti-racist movement and people reading all these books and seeing all these black squares on Instagram and, you know, I'm committed and we have this anti-racist proclamation or we have a, you know, a blurb about it on our website or whatever. And then I just call bullshit a little bit because I either see your team structure and it's all white cisgendered women mm-hmm. or your clients are all white cisgendered women. And the spaces where you're making investments are all white cisgendered women. Like the, the people you are paying are also, of the, they, they all look the same. And I'm not, I'm not like trying to sit here and be like, well, you know, I've got it all figured out, but our, our team is about 50% BIPOC right now. Mm -hmm. Our client base is every color under the sun. I think I haven't done the math and I'm not, you know, I haven't asked anyone specifically what they identify as, but I can say by appearance, I mean, we're at, I would say at 50%, I would assume BIPOC, if not more, we write for queer women. We write for all types of different people. We've written for black men. We've written for Asian, you know, people as well. Like we just have this diverse client base, the people we write for and the stories we tell and the people who trust us and our writers and the people who are, are telling those stories are also of color or they're mm-hmm. different ages. I also don't hire the same, you know, 24 to 32 year old woman that you see in the online business space. Like I have two people who are over 50 mm-hmm. and they're amazing. 
And I have some people who are 26 and they're also amazing. And it's just, it is something that I, and I, I got to figure out a way to like be louder about this somehow, but it just like, I see the doing the work of like building an anti-racist business and like foundationally, what does that look like? The, the key spaces, who are your clients? Who are the people you're paying? And who are like the, the things you're investing in? What, what does your team look like? Mm-hmm. And I just, it just like really, it, it just really leaves a sour taste in my mouth. And I kind of see, I don't, I don't know, I guess like, you know, something happens on the news and then it like bubbles up again, but the actual, to me, the, the work mm-hmm. is put, like truly putting your money, whether it's the money you're paying or the money you're receiving, putting your money where your mouth is. And I just, I haven't seen it in the online business space. Like I would like to, I see it in a lot of brand photo shoots. <laughs> yeah. I'll say that I see some people pay, paying some models, but I don't necessarily see it in the actual operations of the business. And it's something that is so important to me. And my, my brand is based on this idea, like anyone, any color, any background can be a writer or can be an entrepreneur. And, you know, I have a, a a totally separate foundation and thing I want to build eventually, but like, it's such a core belief that I hold. Like I, I envision a world where eventually I have this co-working space in Austin, Texas, where I live, where there is a black single female founder sitting next to a trans mm-hmm. person who traditionally don't get any funding for starting a business, regardless of if it's you know product-based business, an app, or a service provider. I envision a world where people in those spaces and who identify in that way also get the same levels of support. And it is painful is not the right word, but I I experience some level of pain when I, I see, and I just... And I think even if you remember when we, we kind of touched on this a little bit on my podcast episode, someone reached out to me and was like, just thank you. I feel Mm -hmm. seen. And I never even, you know, I'd never experienced some of, some of the things you had touched on. Like I'd never even realized that was happening. Like, I feel so seen. Thank you. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I know there are people out there that, that don't even realize how, how this is impacting them that. It, it just like, I don't know. It, it just really bugs me or you I'm, I'm rambling, but th- this no, is like, I, I, I don't even know where you want to go with that, but I'm just like, I'm pissed off. And no, I'm I just like, I didn't want to interrupt. I think a lot of things in the online space and in the business world, when we start talking about incorporating diversity and letting diverse voices, you know, be heard and having those conversations in a public place, like at the end of the day, like we're still two white women having this conversation. And I have no idea what my podcast demographics are, but like, it's probably a lot of other white women. Mm -hmm. And I try as hard as I can to create a diverse lineup for podcast Mm -hmm. guests, but then there's also crossing the line over into tokenism. Like, am I not having someone on this podcast because I want to try and find a POC to fill that spot? But how much of that is figuring out like who the best person is to, you know, fill that role? You know, I try really hard to create, like fill my circle with people who don't look like me, but I also don't want to put all of the responsibility on them to be my diverse circle. Totally. Um, It's really, it's a difficult line to walk. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it's one that we, I don't think it's one that we talk about enough, but I also don't think it's one that we need to talk about 
more because it's not about us complaining about how Mm -hmm. difficult it is to be inclusive because that's not Mm -hmm. the point (laughs) the point is like we just all need to try and be better yeah I I think the key is like the thing for me like because I I never want it to feel like I remember in corporate it'd be like well we have this diversity metric so we need to hire this Mm -hmm. person for whatever and like I just don't think it should feel that prescriptive I think when done well and done the right the right way should feel so natural you're hiring talent for talent you're hiring the best person that has that role and that's a good fit for you. But the, the key comes down to like your pipeline, mm-hmm. like what spaces are you finding your people? Well, a lot of times people invest in masterminds because, you know, then they end up getting referrals and that kind of thing. Well, if the mastermind is filled with the same kinds of people, it's kind of, it kind of perpetuates the same problem. So mm-hmm. I think it's a, a question of what does your pipeline look like with, without again, tokenism or anything like that. I think there's a a way to do it without feeling like I I don't ever sit here and I'm like, Oh, well, my podcast has, you know, three white women. So now it's time for a colored person. Like I never, it's never should feel that prescriptive at all. And same with writers. I mean, they just kind of show up in my DMS and happen to be non-white, I would say. Yeah. It's just something where it's just interesting. I don't, I don't, I don't think the right answer is like, okay, I have a, percentage or a rule or every mm-hmm. other person. Like it's not, it's not that, but I just, I, I see it happen so much in the online business space. And I'm, I'm not sure why it happens like that. If it's just, you know, it's just kind of the culture or, or you know, again, it's the same people in the same spaces and then they all hire each other. And so, you know, that kind of thing, but it's something for me, like it has led me to kind of not, not that, I mean, I write for people literally all over the world, all different kinds of businesses, all different sizes of businesses. Like my biggest client client right now is a Latina woman who's like mm-hmm. total fireball with like millions of followers. But I mean, she, you know, I'm not sitting here like, oh my gosh, you know, gotta gotta fill out the roster or whatever else. It's yeah. just like that that just kind of happened. So yeah, I don't know what the right right answer is. It's just something that for me, I'm I'm always a little leery. I feel like I'm always kind of one foot in one foot out on the online business space. Cause it's like, I, I want it to be different. And yet mm-hmm. I feel like when I go into those spaces, I feel less authentic to me and to the the business that I want to build. And it's yeah. not everyone is like that, of course, but I, it, there's just something about it that feels I don't know, weird, weird to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't I know think, how to describe it. I, I think the online business space has done so much for straight white women yeah that it's easy for the straight white women in the space to forget that there are more people out there that mm-hmm. the space is capable of True. serving in a really awesome way i don't know it's just something really interesting i kind of like i toy with a lot cuz it, it for me it's like i see it I, it's just every time i'm just like again again. And I, I think as I, as well as it's like the reels example that I mentioned, or even the, like, to me, even the brand photo shoots of tokenism. And then if you actually look at the testimonials on the website or even, you know, what projects they're working on or what their team looks like, that that's the thing that also kind of feels like, 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 I think, I don't know. I think you're, Photos should represent the testimonials and stuff. And there, there's something in that that also feels a little like, Ugh. yeah, but 
I mean, I, I don't want to call anyone out, but I was on a website the other day and it took me homepage services page, deeper services page. It took me clicking to the about page to figure out that the beautiful black woman featured throughout the site was not a person, but was a stock photo. Stop it. And that it's a white woman who's like running this website. And I was like, (gasps) what? What the hell? Wait, 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 wait. So it's like a, is it like a service provider? Yeah, it was like a service provider with like a bunch of like stock photos of this beautiful woman who I was like, I want to know everything about your outfit, about like. What the hell? Okay, see, I think this is a perfect example. My brain just goes, why is the, why is the online business space unregulated? Like how, how how is that okay? I have no idea, but I'm like, like my brain just goes, is it ethical to use someone else's photos to pretend that it's you or to like attract a certain certain type but of But then it's like, where does that line draw? Like yeah. if you're using stock photos for everything, but then have a picture of yourself on your about page, like there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But yeah. I think it is interesting how long it took me to figure out that like, that's not who that's crazy are. though. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. So then shifting gears a little bit, a lot of it actually. Yeah. <laughs> I was Sorry to derail y'all. <laughs> I would love to talk about email marketing. Um, I don't know if it's an opt-in or social post, but you have something that's like what to email your tiny ass list. Oh yeah. And it's, I love... what the, it's called what the fuck to send your tiny ass email list. Yes. So <laughs> that's one of my favorite things on the internet. And I want to start by, let's just talk a little bit about what is tiny. Cause I feel like email marketing is like this mystical thing that we don't know how other people are doing it. Yeah. Um, so what do you consider tiny and what do your clients consider tiny? Um, I consider tiny like a thousand subscribers or less okay. is what I would consider small. I think there's this, this perception or idea that you have to have a big list to make money from an mm-hmm. email list. And I see so many people who shy away from getting into email marketing because they think, and they hear, I mean, rightly so you want to make investments and put your time in places and your money in places where you're going to see a return. But they they hear this scary metric. Oh, email only sees one to three percent conversion rate. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. When you constantly blast them sales pitch emails that suck, like yes, it's a one to three percent. But at one point earlier this year, I think my list had like ten percent conversion rate, mm-hmm. which was crazy, and it had like three hundred people on it. So it's this idea when it comes to email marketing, it's more about quality of the subscriber versus like having a bunch of subscribers. Mm -hmm. Um, But the same philosophies that you build in at, I'll say the a thousand people or less subscriber size or list size still works. I mean, we use the same philosophies that I teach in a lot of my marketing content around email. We use the same philosophies for the email newsletter that I write for that has almost 200,000 people on it. Mm -hmm. We use a lot of the same concepts and philosophies, but it's this idea that, I mean, we've, we've had some clients with like less than a hundred people on their list, making high ticket service provider projects and things like that coming through. We had a girl, or what did she do? We, we wrote a few emails for her. I think she ghosted her list. We had her warm up her list a month before sending some emails again. She turned on ads like the, the year before. So she had a list of about 800 people sold out her group program through her email list. She really didn't do anything else on Instagram or anything else. She sold out the the 
group program from her email list after warming it up for about a month. And then I think we had eight emails in the series, but we're making sales as I think as early as the first email from people mm-hmm. like really being into it. So it's not necessarily, you know, you don't need thousands and thousands of people. You just need the right people on your list. Yeah. I would say. Well, I think a lot of times too, we think about the size of a list based on like course and group coaching program t- mm-hmm. type emails where it's like, you're just focusing on the conversion rate and you want to like get as many people through to either buy or not buy as possible. Is there like a difference between someone emailing for higher ticket one-on-one services and what you should email your list if you're selling a digital product or course and maybe need a higher volume of people to make the money you need to make? Yeah. To be honest, we follow the same I'll say like sales psychology for both types mm-hmm. of people when it comes to email marketing and see the same results. Okay. So, so it's more about the, the quality of what it is that you're writing. I think a lot of times what causes people to turn off as soon as they either, if they're brand new to your list because they found you through ads or if they, you know, maybe join your list because of a lead magnet or something else. And it was more organic. Mm-hmm. I find that you have kind of this like intro period. And it's pretty much like it's ruthless, but you get like one email to like prove that you're different. Mm-hmm. So I see, and I, I really push our clients to not have the first email be a sales pitch right, or anything like that. And like really playing the long game with email. It's not necessarily to, if you want people to stay engaged and to make those any purchase, I find when you chill out on the sales pitch, people kind of have this their radar is up, their guards are up. They're thinking, oh my God. I mean, we've all done it, right? Oh, I just downloaded this free thing from a Facebook ad. Crap. Yeah. I'm on another email list. <laughs> Can't wait for the next. I mean, I remember a, like a, like earlier this year, I got on one and I swear it was like two emails in a day. I was like, chill the F out. I'm not into, like, I'm not into this. It's so aggressive. So yeah. I'm when you actually like, when you chill out, when you put more space in between, when the emails are sent, when you put a longer time before the initial sales pitch, people actually want to know if what you're saying is worth reading or worth mm-hmm. listening to. And then that's that's where the sales really come in. It's kind of this longer nurture side of things. And then I would also say too, having some some kind of weekly email that is, I'll say, quote unquote, a newsletter. I have one called Wallflower Fridays. I treat it as like my space to just like reflect on entrepreneurship or my life, mm-hmm. but it, there's no sales pitch to it at the bottom. I'll include like, Hey, I was on this podcast or like, we do have one spot left or like, here's a link yeah. to this course that's on sale, but leading with quality content and like original content, it's not something repurposed from something else. And it's mm-hmm. not salesy, but like more human, I find performs really well with nurturing the quality people whether you're trying to sell a group program or a product or a service. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've started drafting my podcast episodes in my mm-hmm. weekly-ish newsletter. So I'll be yeah. like, I have this idea. I'll talk about it a little bit. And then mm-hmm. if the newsletter goes well, like I got one that a bunch of people replied to and I was like, this is a podcast episode. Totally. Yeah, it's an interesting way to test content, I think. And just kind of connect with people on a way, like sometimes, like I wrote one the other day that was like, all my heroes are, I don't know, some Ben Rector song that I quoted, but it was like, whatever the thing was, but it was like, Hey, here, here are my heroes, Dolly Parton, Miss Haygood, my second grade teacher and my uncle. 
like, yeah. the, you know, j- but just like human stuff that people, I think they, they want to feel connected to people without feeling like you're constantly going to just like, like throw a sales pitch at them. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's, that's like a really big piece to it as well. And, and, and you do have to know going into email, sometimes you are playing the long game, Yeah, but it always pays off. Like my, my whole philosophy, I get a lot of people that come to me where they're like, you know, I threw all these Facebook ads, you know, I've been investing all this money in Facebook ads. And I'm like, right. What do you do in the off season from your launch? Like what you just got 5,000 people on your email list. And then you're going to just like ghost them until the next time it's time to launch and you reuse the same stuff. Like there's so many other, Mm -hmm. other ways. If you really invest in not just the ads, but then the nurturing of, of content where organic sales can come through, and in a way that feels good for people where it's not like so aggressive or like launchy mm-hmm. and there's not all this like high pressure. It's a really smart way to balance if you are into launching or uh, if you are a service provider and you maybe only need like a few spots every month, like it's a really smart way to kind of build out over time, this kind of client pipeline for, mm-hmm. for you. Awesome. So I'll leave you and our listeners with uh, this. Do you have any recommendations for resources or next steps if someone listening to this is starting to feel ready to dive into email? Like what should they do next? Yeah, so I have a free guide on my Instagram, but if you go to candidcollective.co we'll link slash, it. yeah, you'll link yeah. it in the, in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the URL, just link it. But I have the what the fuck to send your tiny ass email list. And it's basically 52 weeks of prompts. I know a lot of people do, you know, 52 weeks, but these are the ones that we've tested with our clients. We've done it at pretty much every size of email list, I would say at this point, whether it's like, you know, few or tens of thousands, even to like the hundred person range. But it's basically uh, email prompts that you can do based on the time of year or based on what you want to talk about and just journal. Like I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times people think an email has to be the sales pitch, but I would actually encourage you to make your email list the place where you don't pitch. Mm -hmm. Or the thing I usually will say is, you know, you can pitch 25% of the time, the rest of the time, you know, if it's, if there's four weeks in a month, you can send one sales email. And then if you're doing more than that, you can send more. But I I think this resource is really great because it's, it's been tested by, me and in my own business and kind of seeing what works with my clients um, as well. And I would, I would say, start, start there. If you're like, not sure we are working on an email course later, probably in Q2 of next year, kind of a revamped version of a, another course that I had. Um, but we also do an email strategy session. If, if that's your thing where we'll actually come up with a quarter's worth of email prompts for your business, the email newsletter format and the actual content strategy for you, or we can also write your emails for you. If you're like, I don't want to do it. We can, we can also just write them all the different stages. (laughs) If you, if you're like into, to trying out email, we can pretty much pick up, you know, wherever you're at, but, um, yeah, I would say there. Awesome. And yeah, link, we'll link to it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today, Kendall. And I think potentially breaking the record for our longest episode. <laughs> what, what? What can I say? What can I say? <laughs> I'm chatty. So um, we will have all of your links in the show notes. And yeah, I can't wait for this one to come out. Amazing. Thank you for having me and can't wait to talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Hey there. 
Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Or more likely, thanks for leaving your phone just far enough away that you can't get to it in time to skip past this part. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and leave a review. And shout out to my guests for joining me, my dog for not barking, my editor Chrissy for doing her thing, and my friend Devin for letting me use his music. You can check out all of the links for the podcast, anything mentioned in today's episode, and the amazing people who helped me put on the show in the show notes. Bye!